0: We have been studying the book of Genesis with Pastor Matt for a while now. And uh, you've been here and tracking along with me uh, as I've been here. And in it, we have encountered some of the most horrific and shameful and sinful acts done by mankind, haven't we? It's been a few weeks. It's been a little awkward. We've studied about Dinah and Onan, and Judah, and Tamar, Potiphar's wife. We've had old, old Testament lowlights, like Lot and his daughters, progress forward, and you have David and Solomon. And it doesn't get better as you continue through the Old Testament, does it? And sexual sin is clearly an issue in the New Testament times as well. What about today? Well... Today, it's a mess too. It's as much of a mess as it was in ancient times. And sexual sin is a problem everywhere. In Politics, in Hollywood, in college, in schools, in workplaces, and sadly, in churches, and among Christians too. And for a long time in our culture, there was a, a general consensus regarding this topic and the, and the, and the sinful expressions of it. And the, and the general consensus was, it's shameful, it's wrong, and we should grieve over it. But these moral norms have dissipated quickly in previous eras, being called revolutions. And now they're mainstream, aren't they? Factors influencing the shift have been secularism that has taught a value-free sex education. Leave it all to personal preferences. There's been the, the privatization of one's own preferences. There has been psychologists and psychiatrists who have said that it is harmful to limit your expressions, so throw off restraint. These factors and others have led to the rise of what is being called a plastic sexuality. Shape your own everything however you want. And the result being that the boundaries of sexuality are being pushed farther and farther out, aren't they? There probably isn't a single person in this room that hasn't been affected by the sin of immorality directly or indirectly in some way. And Satan has been extremely successful in his plans to bring shame and disgrace on Christians and on Christ's church in this specific sinful way. But we can't just blame Satan, can we? Every time... A Christian's heart has fallen to the worship of pleasure instead of the worship of a holy God he or she has deeply contributed to the problem haven't they and most of all deeply sinned against God as as I have been tracking with you through Genesis I was saddened as I'm sure you were by the displays of these types of sin in the scriptures These types of sins, I was grieved over these types of sins being committed. I was deeply grieved over people who had been sinned against in these ways. And as I look back over almost 25 years of pastoral and counseling ministry, I am grieved by Christians and pastors and friends who have fallen in this way or have been sinned against deeply sinned against in this way and are deeply wounded like Dinah was in the scriptures. So today I I preach a message I've wanted to preach for a long time but a message I don't want to preach at all and I wish I wasn't. (laughs) I wish we didn't need to. My goal is simple. It's not going to be our our typical exegetical verse by verse. We're going to look at multiple texts, just three or four texts, uh, maybe two depending on how fast the clock moves, but the goal is four. To look at some texts and be reminded to be challenged and encouraged of our call to personal holiness. Would you bow with me in prayer as we begin? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are holy. You are set apart from us. And you sent us a Savior who was set apart from us and yet became us. Who knew all the temptations that we face and yet was without sin. Thank you for the holiness of you, Father. Lord, you have clearly called us to personal purity and holiness in our lives and in our relationships and in our churches. And so, Lord, I pray for the healing and comforting and convicting power of your word this morning to come upon us and to remind us of your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy to remind us of the comfort that you have always shown to those who have been victimized by sin. Lord, I pray that you will renew in us, each of us individually, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, and in this church as a whole, a renewed desire for personal holiness not only so that we could be obedient, not only so that we stand apart from this world, but most of all, that we may reflect your holiness, and that we may bring honor to you through personal holiness. Do this for us. We pray. Amen. Very simply, God demands holiness and purity from his people in their lives and in their relationships and in our church. And so what we desire to be reminded of this morning is right love in a wrong culture. And to have that right love in a wrong culture, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 to begin this morning where we see First of all, that our holiness displays our unity with Christ. To have right love in a wrong culture that defines love wrongly, we are reminded and called to personal holiness. And we are reminded through the text of Scripture this morning that our holiness, Paul says, displays our unity with Christ. This is what he says to the Corinthians, beginning, chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. He quotes a few of the mantras of the day. All things are lawful for me. Now Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Another mantra in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And Paul says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So therefore, verse 18, flee! Sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside is outside the body, but sexually immoral persons sin against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Apostle Paul repeatedly emphasizes that this is the gospel that brings freedom to pursue holiness, freedom to the believer. And in verses 12 through 13, he directs the conversation to this call to holiness by quoting some of the mantras of the day. All things are permissible before me was the slogan of the day to justify immorality in Corinth. And and, and on another level, they said, well, it's just like food in the stomach. Food is for the stomach, and stomach's for the food. Another mantra to justify immorality, to say passions and desires, they're just necessary and they're pleasurable, just like food, so no big deal. Just do whatever you want. Philosophically, they said, well, that's just stuff of the body. That's not stuff of the mind. That doesn't even matter. Well, we know from chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians that this was not only a cultural problem. Paul is not speaking to the church saying, now this problem exists outside of the assembly. No, we know from chapter 5 this was a problem in the assembly for them. And so Paul is reminding them and challenging them. You have freedom. From the penalty of sin and the law. No sin can separate you from Christ. And he explains in this text that the sin of immorality is too high to be of any advantage to us. And so he does speak out against the cultural view of immorality, of morality, against the philosophies that considered everything physical to just basically be who cares? what's it matter? No big deal. And Paul is saying, it is a big deal. And his response at the end of verse 13 is that our body was never meant to engage in any kind of immorality. And he stresses and he reminds us of the unity that we have with Christ. As we've been studying in ABFs on Isaiah 53, The connection and the union that Christ has to us by becoming one of us and coming. Paul says here, we have union with Christ. And he stresses that no sin a person commits has more built-in pitfalls. No more destructiveness than sexual sin, than immorality. And Paul rebukes these believers for thinking that their their immorality doesn't somehow just affect Christ. He rejects Plato's argument that the senses could be indulged in any way because, well, they're not going to be able to be indulged in death, Plato said, so indulge them now. Paul says, we're unified with Christ. That's not our call to holiness. You see, Immorality is in the air that we breathe, isn't it? Feels like it. It's everywhere. And we're called here to flee immorality. How? What's the motivation? That it's going to ruin my life? That there's going to be consequences? That there's going to be ongoing natural consequences? that That it might ruin my relationships? That's not the motivation here. Those are good motivations. Those are secondary motivations, but that's not the primary motivation he draws us from in this text. By recognizing your union in Christ and what that unity demands from us is the pursuit of personal holiness. And so he says to believers, flee sexual immorality by recognizing your union with Christ. And this text demands us to ask ourselves, where have I been? If, if I'm unified with Christ, where have I been taking Christ? Paul calls us to a deeper motivation than the worship of pleasure and the worship of the body. And it is the worship of a holy God. And so holiness, we are reminded, is connected to our unity. To have right love in a wrong culture, I, I, I want to also look very quickly over at Hebrews chapter 13, so you can flip your way over there. And we see, second of all, that holiness honors God's design for marriage. You are familiar with this text of Scripture? No doubt. Come to the end of the book of Hebrews, and there is a chapter as, he, as the author wraps this up with a, a passage on, on ethical commands, and he says in verse 4 of chapter 13, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You see, here we get to ethical commands, but but that is not somehow ripped out of context. These ethical commands come on the foundation of the doctrine that has been set forth in chapters 1 through 12. There is no ethics without doctrine. You can't just live by love, the author of Hebrews says. There's doctrine that motivates right love. Love must have an absolute. One author said that trying to throw away doctrine while keeping ethics is like trying to keep your house intact while taking out the foundation. That's where Hebrews 13.4 comes from, on the foundation of an absolute definition of love. Because right love and right living not only demand right doctrine, but it also demands a right relationship with Jesus Christ without a saving relationship with Christ, you will not have the desire or the ability to live up to God's standards of morality. You cannot live up to God's standards without God. And so maybe you're here today and you're visiting and you thought, well, this was the wrong week to come. Yeah, I've thought the same thing a couple times this week. Maybe you're visiting and you don't know Jesus Christ. As your Savior, maybe you say, Yeah, I need to do better ethically, morally in my life. That first of all comes on the foundation of Christ's work on the cross for you. There is no ethical, moral living without the absolute standards of Jesus Christ. So the bad news is you can't do it, you're a sinner. But the good news is that Jesus died to save you from your sins not just to remove immorality from your life, but to save you from your sins. Forgiveness is available and necessary. And the call of the Scriptures to you today, if you don't know Christ, is come by faith and believe in this one who has died for you. Accept his free gift of salvation and you can find and begin to live life by his standards for holiness. If you want to know more of how Christ can be yours and how you can believe by faith and be saved from your sins, come see me when we're when we're done today. I'd love to sit down and talk some more about this. But we're we're looking at Hebrews 13. And at the beginning of chapter 13, the the author cites love as his topic of writing. How this love is supposed to be expressed in society, he says it's supposed to be expressed among brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is supposed to be expressed to strangers, for prisoners, for the underprivileged. And then we get to this second topic of conversation and he moves from the social sphere of living into the personal circle of marriage. And he explains to us that marriage is a treasure that we have received from God who is instituted, and therefore, because of its foundation and where it came from, it must be honored and protected. And so by having and living a right love for God's design for marriage, we can honor this in a culture that is moving fast in the opposite direction. And here in chapter 13, the author takes this practical application of love still further into the domain of holiness and purity in marriage. And he reminds us that we cannot honor and dabble, we cannot honor marriage and dabble in immorality. Judgment will come. And in a world that is redefining marriage against god's design we are reminded of god's honor for what he instituted what he desires from us and we as believers must honor marriage through personal holiness you might get all worked up over all of the legislation against god's design for marriage and 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 we should Well, let me ask you, how are you changing the way that you honor marriage in your own marriage? Honor your marriage by guarding your holiness. In a culture where marriage is taken so lightly, honor God by honoring your marriage in holiness. And if you need help with that, come get help. Remember, God's God's reputation, his image, his character are at stake in your marriage, in the picture of it. So this is not just about your obedience or having an easier life or getting along better in the home. God's image and his reputation, his character are at stake. If you need help with your marriage, come get it. So holiness demands that we honor marriage. Third, holiness separates us from the world. Would you turn to Romans chapter 13? Holiness separates us from the world. We read beginning in verse 11, a few verses down to the end of the chapter in verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, Besides this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then, because of what is Looming because of the day that is impending. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul reminds us because we are in Christ, we are to live in, in eager anticipation of the day, the day that is coming, our final and ultimate salvation. And he says because of the day of Christ's return, because it's getting closer and closer each and every hour, we are to live in the daytime and not in the works of darkness. Those works that the world system and view proposes, but as we know as believers, are in opposition to God. We we are to surround ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way, in our pursuit of holiness, in such a way that, that what we do is done through Him and for Him, and we are not to even give thought to any of those sinful desires that stem from this fallen and sinful world. We are to be set apart from the world that we live in. And moral purity is one of the ways that we can do that. So let me ask you, is your moral behavior a part of the day or a part of the night? As Paul challenges us, what provisions have you made for the flesh? What are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to flee as we saw Joseph flee? Radical amputation, as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Being willing to inconvenience yourself for the sake of holiness, if need be. What provisions have you made for the flesh? Are you willing to slay the beast of immorality in your life? One pastor said, living by faith through the Spirit and putting your sin to death are two sides of the same coin, but one drives the other. As you live according to the Spirit's strength and direction, God gives you the power to put to death the sinful desires of your flesh. And so we we find that the, the key to walking, I'm sorry, the key to personal holiness is walking in the Spirit. We are called to have a right love in a wrong culture. Lastly, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, would you? We are called to personal holiness because of our unity in Christ. We are called to personal holiness because of the pure institution of marriage that God created. We are called to personal holiness to be separate from the world. Now, very simply, from 1 Thessalonians 4, holiness pleases God. God. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. There's no question, there's no guessing. It's not cloudy, it's not fuzzy as we often think about what God's will is for our lives, Paul makes it very clear to us. There's no guessing. This is the will of God for us to pursue. And with all the wrong love in this wrong culture, we are to be vigilant and zealous for this will of God. He says, verse 3, it is your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 6, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this way. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity. But in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives you, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, Paul already knew that his readers desired to do God's will, but he also realized they needed to know more specifically what that will of God encompasses. And in the culture that they lived in, this is where he went. I find that fascinating, that to talk about the will of God, he goes to personal moral holiness. And the command is once again for moral holiness in our passions and in our desires, both in our personal lives and in our relationships. And it, the text, the text kind of demands to ask, have you become desensitized to how terrible sexual immorality is before god how have you been applying the gospel to this category in your personal holiness as we read in verses 6 through 8 moral holiness is too great of a creation to waste on immorality and the call as it is throughout all of scriptures is to repent and to pursue holiness. And so very simply, God commands us to pursue holiness. Few areas of the human struggle reveal more powerfully the sad sinfulness of sin than the immoral evils that are done to people and through people hundreds and thousands of times each day. Dr. Paul Tripp said few areas of the human struggle like this one reveal more powerfully the sad sinfulness of sin than this. There is a delusion that says if we just buy into some sort of legalism of ordering our lives and and high levels of accountability and the right set of rules, if we just build high moral fences that we could never climb over, Then we'll be able to avoid all of this. Don't get me wrong, fences are good. We need to build fences of protection in our lives. But if we don't change the worship of our heart, if we don't change the heart from worship of pleasure and self-worship to one of holy worship of Christ, the fences of morality will eventually be climbed over or taken down. Many believers have believed the lie that this won't hurt anyone. Or I'll fix this by myself or I just need more accountability. But friends, this is no shock to you. That immorality is destroying men and women. It is destroying men and women, both young and old alike. And it is killing marriages. And it's hurting churches. Let me also say that if we as the leadership of Fourth Baptist Church were, were to find out that you are sinning and hurting people in this way, this is a church that will take that seriously. We will use the God-ordained means of legal authority as well as the God-ordained means of church discipline to bring you to repentance. This is not something we will hide from or cover up. We will confront a sinful abuser and we will protect victims. Now, I'm not from the South, so I don't know quite how this goes, but I think this is a moment where you say, can I get an amen? Amen. We will not protect or cover up sinful abuse and we will protect victims. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because God demands holiness from us. We will not be a church that covers up sin. But maybe sin has gripped you. If you have fallen into sin... In this area, if you are stuck in your efforts of of getting out of immorality, come see me. There is hope to help you get out of sin's domination. In the face of, of all your failures and the immoral insanity of this world, my friends, there is still reason to have hope today. All over the world, people are turning and returning to the hope of the gospel. They are looking to Jesus to diagnose their moral and immoral issues, their struggles with holiness. The church is getting better at talking about this. I am fully convinced that this sin of darkness needs to have the door kicked wide open so that the light of the gospel shines into it. And I know it's weird and I know it's awkward and I don't care. We have to talk about this better because we all know people that this is destroying. What I do for you today, what I, what I offer to you today, I not only call you to holiness, but I, I hold out to you the hope that you have as a believer in Christ to find forgiveness and to find restoration in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I have a friend many, many years ago fell into sin and and disqualified himself from pastoral ministry and he was quoted after as saying this, I know that God has disqualified me from ministry, but I'm thankful to God for His grace to not disqualify me from faith, from being a Christian. And He and His wife have put broken pieces back together. And as far as I know, now live faithful to Jesus Christ and to the gospel and to each other. My friends, there's hope. The gospel heals. The gospel changes everything. Maybe you have been a victim of these types of sin in your life. May I offer to you the healing in Christ and help to find that healing In the discipleship and the counseling ministry of this church. My friends, guard your heart. Solomon said to his son, guard your hearts and your minds. He says to his son, run the other way. Don't go down past her door. Guard your heart. Guard the hearts and minds and eyes of your children. Check their phones. Look at their browsing history. Have accountability software for your family. Giving them free access to the internet on their phone can be like giving heroin to an addict. Talk to your kids about this. Make this something that they know. This is what we do. This is part of the conversation we have. We talk in our house about how this topic of moral holiness is one ongoing conversation with lots of talks along the way. If you ever want to get close to the Stephens family, this is what comes with it, this awkward and weird and extremely important conversation. Talk to your sons. Talk to your daughters. Talk to your married friends. Talk to your single friends. And let's help keep each other pursuing moral holiness. Right love in a wrong culture is a call to each of us to pursue holiness. And so let me leave you with the words of Peter from his epistle. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance before you were saved, but as he who called you is holy so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, since God says you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Before I pray... I offer you a moment of silent reflection in your own heart before your God. Maybe it's a moment of confession, contrition. Take a brief moment of how you have been challenged through this and these texts this morning. And then I'll pray. Father God, you have called us to be holy. Help us train our own hearts for holiness. And with that comfort and that victory, we may then help train other hearts for holiness as well. In Christ's name, amen.